So we, we sort of uh, dwelled for a second here on this beautiful reality that we, that we live in, that despite the fact that we have rebelled against God, He has forgiven us and, and He has given us this free gift of grace. And so we live in a reality where Romans, a uh, book of the Bible called Romans, chapter 10, verse 13, it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord we saved. And there's this great reality to this, that everyone who, and they say calls on the name of the Lord, but that's really sort of a phrase that says putting our lives in His hands, giving ourselves over to Him, sort of becoming a follower of Jesus. Anyone who can do that, anyone can. It's open to anybody, and anybody who does that, saved. doesn't matter what they've done, doesn't matter what's going on in their lives, doesn't matter, you know, what their path to that moment is, it's all done. It's all taken care of. Beautiful. Fantastic. And yet that we look around this world and we see there are still people who are dining on that apple. There's still so many people who are consuming this apple of rebellion and, and turning away from God, whether they know Him or whether they don't. They're just living lives that are separated from Him. And we just think, man, how do we... They have a pathway back to Him. There is this open door where we can become reconciled to God and we can become part of the family again. Anyone who wants can be saved. But there's this problem. In this passage, Paul, the writer who wrote the book of Romans, he goes on to present the problem. In verse 14, he says, But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That's the problem, isn't it? God has given us the pathway back to him, but people don't know. They just don't know. Some people know and have chosen against it. That's their choice. But most people just don't know. We live in a world, especially in New Zealand, where so much of our country is completely oblivious, really, to the story of Jesus. They've maybe heard of the church. They've certainly heard of some of the things that we've done. And they may have opinions pro or against some of that stuff. They may have heard things from other people, from friends or family members who have maybe had a good experience or maybe had a bad experience in church and they've kind of written their story about who God is based on a lot of those experiences. But they don't know the true path. They don't understand this, this gift that is available to them. And how can we connect to them unless someone is sent to go and tell them? Well, in unrelated news... There's another passage in the Bible called uh, the Great Commission. It's in Matthew chapter 28, at the end of Jesus' time on earth. He's gathered his disciples one last time. He's about to take the uh, 1030 bus to heaven, and he's going to say one last thing to his followers, and this is what he says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Many of you have heard this passage. It is one of the more famous passages in the Bible. And it basically says, who will be sent? Us. We have been sent. We have been given the mission to go out into all of the world and to tell them about who Jesus is. 
And so um, we're going to get to that bit in a second. Don't worry about that yet. Um, so this thing that, that we call evangelism, this is what this is talking about. Sometimes we call it preaching the gospel. Sometimes we call it sharing your faith. Sometimes we call um, testimony. There's a lot of different Christianese type language phrases that we give this. But basically the concept is we're telling people about who Jesus is, introducing them to Jesus and to that free gift, the bread and the cup versus the apple. And that's what evangelism is and that is what we have been sent to do and that is what we really hate, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, isn't this the part about Christianity that makes us the most nervous? Is this thing that we have to go and, and tell others about them. Especially in a culture that really necessarily doesn't want to hear it. But we look at this process. Before we look at that process, I want it's a good time to remind us of this last bit of the Great Commission where Jesus says, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. So we are sent, but we are never sent alone. So we need to remember that because sometimes we just feel like we're just no good at this. And you know what? I feel that way too. Some people just like have this amazing gift. And the Bible does describe this as a gift, that people have the gift of being able to just go and share and they could talk to anybody and they could share with anybody and they're just like, yeah, let's do this thing. And they make us look bad, right? And we kind of talk to them and go, man, I'm just a horrible Christian because I can't do this. That's not the case because not everyone is gifted that way. But we are all still sent. And so I am not gifted that way. I have other things that God's given me and that's wonderful, but this is not one of them. So I feel like I'm terrible at this. So this morning, as we kind of have a look at it, maybe we can share together in this journey. Now, you and I can work together on how we might be able to equip ourselves to do this, even if we're not gifted in, the, in this way. So let's have a look at this process, because this passage um, that from Romans that Paul talks about, um, if you reverse it, it actually gives us the whole process of what evangelism is all about. And it starts with being sent. And then it goes into telling. Those who are sent tell people. And that goes into hearing. And that goes into believing. And that goes into calling on God or giving their lives to God. And that gives the, uh, leads to being saved. And we look at that process and we're like, oh my gosh, that's so much. I mean, how am I supposed to do all of that stuff? How am I supposed to get people to go through all of that process? But here's the thing. The short answer is, you don't. That's not all for you. Have a look at this list again, and look who's involved here. Yeah, no, no, put that up, yeah. The first two, that's us, with God's help. Second one, that's us, with God's help. The next three, hearing, believing, and calling on God, that's on them. That's on the person you're talking to also with God's help. He's involved in that process too. And the last one, no one's involved in that except God himself. That's him. That's all him. So how much do we have to worry about? We're only responsible for being sent and for telling. That's it. That's it. We don't have to worry about the rest. We're not in control of the rest of it. We simply go, we simply tell, and God takes care of the rest. I want you to have a listen to something else that um, Paul said in, in another book, uh, 1 Corinthians. 
He's talking to a church uh, that he was part of this evangelism process with, and he says, I planted the seeds in your heart. So he went, he told. And Apollos, this other guy, watered it. So he was part of the process as well. But it was God who made it grow. So it's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. And that puts us in our place a little bit too, doesn't it? You know, sometimes on the flip side of this, we try to take a lot of credit for what's happened. (laughs) No, we can't do that either. We just went and we just told God did the growing. So, now that we know this process is a little simpler, let's have a look at this together. Let's have a look at, I mean, we already looked at the fact that we're we're sent. That Great Commission passage says go, so yeah, we should. That's that's the going covered. Now let's talk about the telling, because this is really where it comes down to it, isn't it? This is where... We live in this process of how do we tell. But let me start by giving you a quote from St. Francis of Assisi, who's this um, very strong, mature Christian from way back in, in ancient days. I don't know exactly when he was. Anyway, he said, preach the gospel at all times, which is another way of saying evangelize or share your faith at all times. And when necessary, use words. So he's saying there is more to evangelism, there is more to sharing your faith than just words. In fact, just like any kind of communication, our words to someone is only 10% of our communication to them. Did you know that? The actual words you use is only 10% of what you communicate to someone. And it's a little bit, it's an important 10%, that's the content, but everything else is part of it as well. So I want to have a look at the few things, there's four things I want to go through of, of ways that we can share our faith, um, appropriate in different situations. And to make it easier to remember, they form together this word claw. So we, we're going to go through the claw method. <laughs> oh, us. Okay, so it starts with C. And the C of claw is character. I heard this quote once that I love that said, you may be the only Bible that anyone will ever read. Think about that for a second. You may be the only Bible that some people will ever read. Which means, especially in a country like us, your character, the way you live your life, is going to be the only exposure to who God is that they may ever get. You may not even talk to them. You may not even know that they're seeing you, but they do. So if we claim to be Christians, and people know that we're Christians, and then we live our lives that deny Him, it's going to do irreparable damage to this idea of sharing faith, and people will be turned off to it. In fact, honestly, (laughs) there's enough of that going around already. We don't need to add to that process. The flip side of that, of course, is that if we live out our lives and we try to live with integrity and we try to live honest, good lives in Christ and live out that love and that compassion, it does amazing things for people's idea of who God is. There's a great verse that Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 5. He says, You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Notice it did not say, let your good words shine out. This is your character. 
This is what you do. All right. Now, this doesn't mean that we, that we have to be perfect. We're not going to be perfect. We're going to make mistakes. We are broken people, all right? But we try our best, and we take it seriously. You know, and we own up to our mistakes, and we, we're clear with people that we're broken people, but we still put effort into living out lives that are worthy of the name that we profess to follow. All right, the second um, L is love. You've heard this, uh, say this many times. You're going to hear us say it many, many times again. One of the greatest acts of evangelism is the way that we love, not just them, but each other. The Bible is very clear. Jesus says it in John chapter 13, a lot of verses today. He says, your love for one another within the body of Christians will prove to the world that you're my disciples. So it's not being, just being nice to, to people outside, that's a big part of it, but loving each other. What happens in this community is a billboard to the rest of the world. So if we go around, again, telling people that we're Christians and we say that, excuse me, God is love and he loves us dearly and then we hate each other, what does that say? You know, and we've already got such a fractured Christianity with all of these different denominations that up until hopefully recently, there's been a lot of infighting and a lot of bickering. And they're like, you're not a real Christian. No, you're not a real Christian and blah, 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 blah. And it's already done so much damage. But again, on that flip side, if we love each other, if we care deeply about each other, if we put each other's needs above our own and we live out that way, it is irresistible to the rest of the world. In fact, that's how the early church did most of its evangelism, just by loving each other. And people were like, I want a piece of that action. And they joined. Then A, <clears throat> A is action. And I'm talking about sort of compassionate action here, getting out there and helping people. There is, um, in the Bible, there is this very strong theme of looking after those who cannot look after themselves for whatever reason. It talks about the poor or the needy or the oppressed. Compassionate action is so important for us because it is a representation of who God is. There are hundreds of verses throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament of the Bible that talk about God's love and His care for, the, for those who are needy. In Psalm 72, 12 to 14, you can see it here. He will rescue the poor when they cry to him. He will help the oppressed who have no one to defend them. He tells us to look after the poor in Proverbs 14, uh, 31, where he says, those who oppress the poor insult their maker, but helping the poor honors God. And he's a God that desires us to live a life of active compassion. 1 John 3 in the New Testament he says, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show by the truth of our actions. Actions are so important. Listen, we cannot have evangelism without compassionate action because it paints an incomplete picture of who God is. Right? And we cannot have compassionate action without the truth and the message of who God is because that only helps 
with some of their needs and not their deepest needs. Their true need to be reconnected to God. They must be with one with each other. They must be connected. We're going to have, uh, Jen's going to come up in a little bit uh, later on and, and share a good example of how we can have compassionate action. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be this great big thing where we're going to just like take away all of the world's hunger. You know, we're not going to do that. We could just do something. And we're going we're gonna to show you that in a little bit. But from a pragmatic point of view, active compassion is simply a very powerful evangelism. It's a very powerful method because it touches people's hearts. And heart change is what leads to life change. That's, that's how people work. And when we show them that we love them by filling practical needs in their lives, we again show them that God loves them. And it gives us a window, an opportunity to share more. So, I mean, already for the first three, we have done so much to share our faith with the people around us, and we haven't even opened our mouths yet. No, we haven't even opened our mouths. Just by living well, loving well, and getting out there, we have shown Jesus to so many people. And in many of our situations, that's all we're going to get a chance to do. But hopefully we will also get to W, which is our words. Some point on the journey, we want to be able to give them the content. Up until this point, we have pointed people towards Jesus, but they still don't know exactly who he is or how they can connect with him. And that's critical. So we do need our words. And this is the part that gives us heart palpitations, doesn't it? This is the part that really gets us going because it's hard to open our mouths and to say something. And again, I want to remind you, we're not alone in this. God is there with us. There's this really cool passage in Colossians, uh, which is, again, another uh, book that um, Paul wrote. And so he's kind of giving us from a few different angles here. And I think this might help us with the words aspect. It's up on the screen here. He says, pray for us too. He's talking about himself and the people with him, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ, which, again, sharing faith. That's another phrase to, to say that. That is why I'm in here in chains. He was in prison because he was doing that very thing. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. And then he's talking to them. He says, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. So there's a few things here that I think uh, will be very, very helpful for us as we think about how can we use our words? How can we share our faith through our words? All right, so we're going to run through these. First thing he says is we pray for opportunities. Give us opportunities because this kind of talks to the context of the situation where we will be sharing our faith. You may have come across people who are just like, my opportunity is a street corner and a box that I can stand on and I'm just going to start talking and I'm going to shout and I'm going to try and evangelize everybody around them. And God bless them, their energy and their, their, their heart for sharing God's word, but they have no sense of context. The people walking past, there's no connection there. There's no relationship to who they are. There's no sense of where are they at? You know, where is this person at in their life? Are they ready to hear what you're saying? So praying for opportunities um, is kind of like this praying for the right context and knowing what that context is. So that means knowing the person that you're talking to. Know where you are and know who you are. I mean, where, where is God with you in your life? What is your story? How does your story connect to their story? 
Okay, so in different situations, might come up in different ways. So I know um, uh, Tandem Ministries, sorry. Tandem Ministries, Timo and Francis are involved with them. They do a lot of work on uh, university campuses. And they do this thing where they have a survey and they start asking questions that kind of guide a conversation towards something spiritual. And that context is fantastic because on a university campus, people are in that mindset of being asked questions, of challenging what their ideas are, their beliefs, and their, their thinking. It's a beautiful context. But if I get together with my friend, my close friend, who I've known for, you know, my whole life, and I start asking a survey, that's not going to go over. So I'm like, why? What, what is, this is so, like, this is not personal. This is not where I'm at. Context gives us our ability to kind of formulate what we're saying in the right way. Okay. Second thing is clarity in speaking. Proclaim this message as clearly as I should. We're praying for this clarity, which means we're asking God to give us the right words which he promises to help us with. We're not on our own. But it also might mean we might do a little research ourselves as well. Do I actually understand the story of Jesus? Do I actually understand what it means to be a Christian and how to become a Christian? Am I, have I got all of this together? So maybe I go and read my Bible a little more, or maybe I go talk to someone who has been a Christian and, and, and knows this stuff. And of course, as leaders, we're here to help you with that sort of thing. Maybe I read a book or whatever. So do a little research. God uses that preparation as well. And then he says, again, live wisely. This goes back to the character thing, doesn't it? And character becomes the foundation for our words because, again, if we're not living the way we say we are living, then people are just, you're a hypocrite. Nothing you say is going to make any sense to me. I don't care what you say. And we lose our opportunities. And then he says again, make the most of every opportunity. So we pray for opportunity, that's easy. It's easy to pray for an opportunity. What's harder is having the boldness to actually use an opportunity, right? This is where I fall down. This is, this is my big weakness right here, is when God presents a situation, someone's sitting there, and it's like, man, I know that if I just ask this question, or if I just kind of bring this topic up, this is going to go somewhere, you know, and this is going to have a conversation. They may not, you know, give their life to the Lord right there in that seat of McDonald's, but, you know, there is a sense that we will be sowing some seed and we will be going somewhere. But I often, I get scared and I just let that situation pass. And I know I'm going to have to go to God and we're going to have a list of all of these things. But there is grace. We're forgiven. We have grace to move on. But we pray for boldness. The Spirit helps us. That's what God says. I want to help you, not just with things to say, but the boldness to say it. So we pray for that. And then finally, there's this concept he brings up here that be gracious and attractive in your speech so they have the right response to everybody. We've talked a little bit about this before when we talked about how we engage with culture. But this idea of being gentle and respectful, of being gracious and attractive in the way that we talk. If we are argumentative and if we are judgmental and if we go hard after someone, what good is that going to do us? We might end up being right. They may admit we're right, but we're, their heart is going to be blocked out to us. Some people love a good argument. Again, context. If you know this person and they want to debate something with you, great. But for the most part, we just need to have that compassion, that humility, and so that we can effectively um, connect with people. How's it going there, Dylan? You're doing all right? <laughs> okay. All right. So wrapping it all up, um, Paul gives us this last little statement, which kind of, again, brings us back to the beginning 
reminds us of why we're doing this, and he says, how beautiful, that's why scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. I know we kind of talk a lot about ideas, and we talk about, you know, we need to do this, we've been sent to go do this, it's kind of our responsibility to do this, and sometimes it feels like a job to do, a task to perform, right? Let us never forget what this really means for the person we are sharing with, for the person whose cuisine is an apple, who is stuck in separation from God, may not even know that their destiny is eternal separation from God. That is no joke. That is no, nothing to, to sneeze at. And when we consider that, and we consider that we can offer them hope, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. And we have good news for the world. Let me pray, and then we're going to get a little practical with this. Lord, I just thank you that you have given us good news. You have included us in your family, or you've offered that opportunity for us to come into your family. Man, how beautiful is that? And I just, I just thank you that you've given us that opportunity we want others to have that opportunity. I don't know why exactly you gave us that job, but you did, and you want to work with us, not by ourselves, but with you, to help share and to bring that hope to the world. Maybe so we can get to see, and we get to have the beautiful feet that bring the good news. That's wonderful. Give us boldness. Give us opportunities. Give us strength, and give us wisdom so that we can, in a beautiful and effective way, share our faith through our character, through our love, through our actions, and through our words. Help us with that. It's in your name we pray. Amen.